following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Okay, so welcome everyone. Um, my name is Mira Young, and um, some of you may be aware of who this person is sitting here, and some of you may not. Uh, just briefly to say that um, sometimes I, I fill in for Mark while he's on retreat, and I'm happy to be with you this morning. And uh, I'm, I teach uh, meditation. I'm a psychotherapist that integrates the Dharma into my practice at Riversway Meditation Center. And I also teach in the community in various university settings, including uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction. And I've been engaged in this practice um, as wholeheartedly and fully as I can for about the last 35 years and Vipassana probably for the last 21. And um, uh, the Dharma, I am also uh, took the training as a community Dharma leader with Spirit Rock Meditation Center, a similar program, same program Mark attended a few years later. So that's a little bit about me and, and what brings me here today in sharing the Dharma. And and I, I'd like to start with a couple poems. Uh, tonight, today's talk, um, and of course I have more material than we could cover in a week um, or maybe a year, but, it, but it's really part of my practice because it takes me deeper into reflecting and studying and sharing. So thank you for that. Um, so this talk is on liberation and uh, liberation and the guardians of the heart, the guardians of the heart. I'd like to share a poem or two and then give you a little context for this exploration and what are the guardians of the heart. The Bridge Poem by Donna Ruskin. The bridge I must be is the bridge to my own power. I must translate my own fears, meditate my own weaknesses. I must be the bridge to nowhere but my own true self. It is only then I can be useful. John O'Donohoe, uh, Irish poet that um, lived and wrote so beautifully, um, invites us for beginning anew. In the out-of-the-way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander, this beginning has quietly been forming, waiting until you were ready to emerge. For a long time it has watched your desire feeling the emptiness growing inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you have outgrown, still unable to leave what we have outgrown. It watched you play with seduction of safety and the great promises that sameness whispered, heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, wondered, would you always live like this? Then the delight when your courage kindled and you stepped out onto new ground, 
your eyes young again with energy and dream, a plan of plenitude opening before you. Though your destination is not yet clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning that is one with your life's desire, your life's desire or purpose. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease and risk so you will be home in a new rhythm for your soul senses the world that awaits you. So the guardians of the heart are the aspects of our moral compass, and they're guided by clear comprehension. What is our purpose? And I'm going to, we're going to break that down in a few moments. Um, some of you may be familiar. Um, a Dharma friend introduced me to the book called Some, 40 Tales from Afterlives, David Eagleman. When you think about your life and the time that we have, how do we spend it? He says that in the afterlife you relive all your experiences, but the time with the events reshuffle in a new order. All the moments that share a quality are grouped together. You spend two months driving the street in front of your house. <laughs> Seven months having sex. <laughs> you sleep for 30 years without opening your eyes, and five months straight, you flip through magazines while sitting on the toilet. <laughs> you take your pain all at once, all 27 intense hours of it. Bones break, cars crash, skin cut, babies are born. Once you make it through, it's agony-free for the rest of the afterlife. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's always pleasant. You spend six days clipping your nails. Fifteen months looking for lost items. Eighteen months waiting in line. Two years of boredom, staring out a bus window, sitting in an airport terminal. One year reading books. Your eyes hurt. You itch because you can't take a shower until it's your time to take a shower. And then you take a shower marathon, a 200-day shower. Two weeks wondering what happens when you die. One minute realizing your body is failing, 72 hours of confusion, and one hour realizing you've forgotten someone's name, and it goes on. So, <laughs> what is our purpose? <laughs> Partly uh, the reason I came to this talk is I was very moved by some sutta study um, done recently in some of the group, couple of the groups I'm in. And uh, this very much inspired me because the Buddha, the Buddha also spent his life doing some of these activities that come with being a in a human in a human body. And he talks very poignantly of how he worked with his own mind and heart. He says, before, because before my enlightenment, while I was still only an unenlightened bodhisattva, it occurred to me to work 
in these different ways to work with his own mind. And he thought, he saw cruelty arise in him. He saw the afflictions that others caused themselves. He saw difficulties. He, he himself had to watch what comes up. How many of us have never struggled with a negative thought? You know, how many of us have never had jealousy or fear or hatred? I was um, recently um, involved with some teaching with some colleagues. And it was very interesting to watch. We were teaching on, on mindfulness, right? On mindfulness and how to bring it into our work. And to watch in the preparation, and then particularly um, as it got closer to the time to give this workshop, what came up? Comparing and judging and jealousy and egoic, I know this better than you do. And all kinds of things came up into my heart. And the, the guardians of the heart, the guardians of the heart of recognizing that that's not what I'm about. When we know our purpose, when we know what clear comprehension is, we remember what we're about. So when things happen, <clears throat> we have more of a choice. We don't have to just react from the unwholesome thoughts. So the Buddha really worked with himself. He said that sometimes you have to prod yourself. And he used cows, cows in the pasture, right? Just like a cow herd. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the last month of the rainy season, when the crops thicken, a cowherd would guard his cows by constantly tapping and poking them on this side and that with a stick to check them, to curb them. Why is that? Because he sees they could be flogged, imprisoned, fined, or blamed if they stray into the crops, right? So these, these experiences, they eat our crops, right? They, they harm. They cause harm. And then there's other times where, like in the last month of the hot season, a cowherd would guard his cows by staying at the root of a tree or out in the open, since he only needs to be mindful that the cows are there. So too, there was only a need for me to be mindful that those states were there. Sometimes we can just rest and watch it, right? Watch it come and go. Other times we have to give ourselves a little reminder. Another teaching called the thorn in your heart from the Atadana Sutta. This is um, some comments by Andrew Olinsky. As he, I won't share this whole sutta. I do invite you to read it. It's very powerful, short, and moving, the thorn in your heart. You can Google it. Fear is born from arming oneself. Just see how people fight. Here's the Buddha watching humanity, watching ourselves over and over in those patterns, seeing creatures slopping around like fish in water too shallow, so hostile to one another. Seeing this, I became afraid. This world completely lacks essence. It trembles in all directions. I longed to find myself a place unscathed, but I could not see it. <coughs> seeing people locked in conflict, I became completely distraught, but then I discerned 
here a thorn, hard to see, lodged deep in the heart. It is only when pierced by this thorn that one runs in all directions. So if the thorn is taken out, what happens? We stop running and the mind settles. You realize that things aren't personal. There's no me or mine. The Buddha looks at it with a sense of dread at the human condition. You know, our conventional wisdom says that by harming, by hurting each other, right, by responding, by going to war, we'll feel more safe. Arming oneself. The Buddha also said that mankind is not evil by nature. We have this Buddha nature. We have this goodness. Our nature is positive. And that by removing the thorn in the heart, that this unbinding, we cross over into liberation in Nibbana. So how we live, what our moral compass is, what our purpose is, is what takes us across to the freedom that we seek. So now you're ready for the heavy stuff. So these are two aspects. What are the guardians of the world? It's very hard for me, especially as a therapist, um, to use these words. Yet I have some, I think, some different ways to talk about it. So Hiri and Otapa are the Pali words. Hiri, Otapa. Hiri is that internal feeling we get when we know we are off track, right? We've been dishonest about something, either through lies of omission. Um, we, we have this feeling inside like, mm, I know this isn't quite right, you know, like, I can kind of get by with this. Um, it's called moral shame. And what is the opposite? I looked up I looked up the word shame. And actually, what is an antonym for shame? Self-respect. So actually, moral shame, by being aware of when we are not in alignment with our values and we go off track, when we recognize there's a thorn in our heart, we are filled with some greed or anger or jealousy and we want to act out of that, we remove it. We have self-respect. We free ourselves from that moral shame. It's an internal experience. It's, it's karmically to have, have that kind of shame or moral shame or understanding is actually wholesome consciousness. Wholesomeness. Um, when I snuck a bite of a delicious dessert, at the end of a retreat, and I told my teacher at the time, my meditation teacher, because I was in the kitchen helping prepare it, uh, helping cut it up, um, I said, oh, yeah, I sneaked uh, a taste of this delicious dessert. And she said, oh, that's Hiriotapa. That was a sign that I was becoming that sensitive, you know, that something as small is sneaking a snitch 
of a dessert before it was offered was out of alignment with my values. And at that point, I had finished a month-long retreat, and I was quite sensitive. The heart was really recognizing. Um, I mean, this morning, I went to take my shower, and there was a large, one of those large ants in the bathtub. There's almost a little being in there every morning. <laughs> and I, you know, and, and one, one day I accidentally drowned one. I was trying to rescue it, but it wasn't in time, and I felt bad about it. And then today, you know, I just want to get in the shower already, one of my hours of showers. And, and I, I, I took the time to scoop it up and put it outside, you know. And it felt good. It felt actually good. Okay, sentient being, go and don't come back. <laughs> but you know, I didn't. I didn't want to to harm it. The other part, the otapa part, is more of the external. That's the part where the cow herd, the cow herd recognizes the cows of our mind are wandering into the pastures that are going to cause harm. And there's cause and effect, and we know it. You know, we know that if we behave in this way, we know if we harm. So like looking at how we harm ourselves, how we harm, whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally, it does matter. You know, what is our intention? A lot of times we do these things not intentionally, but we can come aware. And these guardians are described as the bright guardians of the world. Bhikkhu puts it this way. The Buddha's teaching at its core is the doctrine of liberation that provides us with the tools for cutting through the fetters that keep us bound to this world of suffering, the round of repeated births. Our, so our practice is growing when we notice this. So he says that these two bright guardians of the world, Sukha Lokapala, he gives them the designation because as long as these two states prevail in the hearts of people, the moral standards of the world remain intact. While when their influence wanes, human world falls into this unabashed violence, almost indistinguishable from an animal realm. So these are bright guardians. They actually when we think about this kind of morality, it's, this isn't just like, you know, church on guilt, guilt church city here. This is about awakening. This is about taking the thorn out of the heart. This is about behaving as a true human being behaves. This is about non-harming. And it's actually a brightness. And it protects us. I love this analogy. I wondered whether to share it or not, but if Acharya Buddhagasa can say it, I can say it. This is what he says. Bhikkhu Bodhi um, gave this example. The difference between the simile of the iron rod on one end smeared with excrement and it heated, it heated at the other end, that here he is like the disgust at grabbing the rod in place where it's smeared with the excrement. So when we step in it, when we put our hand in it, we know it, and it stinks, right? It's icky. Then it's disgust, like, oh, no, you know? And then the other end is otapa, which is like the fear of grabbing it in the place where it's red hot. Okay. 
So those are the that's one of the analogies. So so you can thank think of that and thank uh, <laughs> Buddha Dasa for the next time you go all right or oh <laughs> refraining from that because you know it's going to burn right it burns we're going to burn our we're going to burn ourselves or burn someone else. The project of self-cultivation that the Buddha proclaims as a mean of liberation from suffering requires that we keep a critical watch over the movements of our mind and heart. So I want to I wanna not go on and on. I'm just going to say a few things about clear comprehension. So there's four aspects to clear comprehension. So how, how we stay true to our purpose. The second one is suitability. Is this the right timing for this? Is this appropriate? We can use these to guide us. Clear comprehension of the domain of meditation. That's bringing mindfulness. Mindfulness into how we're walking, how we're eating, how we're going about our day. And clear comprehension of reality, or it's also called clear comprehension of non-delusion. Seeing that it's not self, are we identifying with it? Does this lead to suffering? So these aspects of the um, Hiri Otapa and the um, clear comprehension, Sampajama, are are very practical in guiding us in daily life. This is not just theoretical. And they're part of the aspect of the Eightfold Path called right mindfulness or wise mindfulness, how we stay mindful, awake, and present. And they're, they're part of what builds concentration because, right, if we're unsettled, we have the thorn in the heart, the mind is unsettled, and when it's removed, the mind and body and heart are more settled. And it develops the wisdom aspect, the wisdom aspect within us. So I'm going to open up in a few moments for question and discussion and also what came up for you when you were contemplating. But I'd like to close um, this part with... Um, another poem. This is a poem about goodness. Goodness is born of wisdom light. Wisdom light is born of peace delight. If goodness is not always, then how can human beings have any peace? If you make greatness your companion, you may suffer. If you make goodness your companion, You will not only prosper, but you will have God, the Buddha, way as your companion by Sri Chinno. Also goes on to say, My child, mere becoming is not greatness. Mere giving is not goodness. I want you to develop your own greatness, your own goodness. You can develop your own greatness by becoming one with your heart's cry. You can develop your goodness by becoming one with your life's smile, your purpose. Greatness is oneness that grows and glows. Goodness is fullness that satisfies and immortalizes the human in the divine and the divine in the human. Goodness 
becoming one with your life's smile, your intention, your purpose, your clear comprehension. Goodness is the fullness that satisfies and immortalizes the human and the divine and the divine and the human. I'm open to questions. I, I left a lot of the details out because I'm trusting that we can have more of a discussion and reflection and sharing and learning from each other as we contemplate some of the tools that the Buddha gave us to really look at how we can take care of our hearts and um, move to towards the liberation and the freedom that we seek. So uh, what, what, what are you... What are you aware of? Anything that came up in your um, reflections? Or I'll just leave it open. recognize it, feel how it feels in the body, soften into it. You know, I think I think what I find is when we have these habits, like out of love for yourself, beginning to let it go, rather than I'm bad and I shouldn't be doing this. But you know, feeling that if you look at that that hairy, that that sense of like this doesn't feel good, you know. And then the otapa, that, that this is, you know, causing me some distress and and being kind about it and you can use your clear comprehension you can decide you know um, what what's the purpose reflect on it why, why do I drink it maybe I, I want more energy so then that might say well how else might I get some energy how could I take care of that what would be suitable well maybe um, some yoga in the morning or maybe I'll, I still like that coffee maybe I'll start having half decaf I've been trying to convince my husband of that because he hasn't worked. <laughs> he likes his coffee strong and dark. I'm sure he doesn't mind telling. But uh, I'm like, could you please just have a pep with decaf? You're much more relaxed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you think would be helpful in that? When you notice that's not in alignment with what you, how you, what feels right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
over here at 40 miles an hour and I know I'm going to get a ticket, I just immediately take my foot off. Like if I'm an autopilot, and I, and I, I do, I tend to run late and drive a little too quickly, and, and I have gotten tickets in the past, knock wood, not for a while, I mean going 40 down the river road, you know. Um, I've been there, done that, I've had it happen several times, and knock wood, it hasn't happened for a number of years, but it's because of, you know, that, that's the hot and the, the poker, you know, the burn, you know, there's consequences. Plus, um, it doesn't feel right to want to mow other drivers down, you know, because um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to hurt. It's like, okay, I got behind the truck the other day, and I just like, okay, just breathe, Mary, breathe. Yes, they're going under the speed limit. It's to get there when you get there. And use the tools of mindfulness, you know, but there's other times where there's deep patterns and it's just persistence. It's loving kindness, it's compassion. It's beginning anew, like O'Donohoe said, you know, and, and it takes time and it starts to push up. It makes its way out, you know. Yeah. Thank you for the question. Yeah. So you're saying that guilt is unnecessary? Actually, the feeling that we have um, actually, there, there was a part I came across where remorse is sometimes the most painful of human suffering. So if we think about it, to feel guilty, if that's a healthy response to a moral conscience, like I feel badly when I do something harm to self or other, then that can be wholesome. But if it's guilty, I mean, I work with people all the time where they're carrying guilt and it's for years and they go, the mind goes over these things. It's time to forgive and let go and move on and learn from the experience, you know. So I think how we are in relationship to the guilt. If guilt should be, I don't know, should. But when I think about guilt, I think about it arising and passing. You know, when it gets stuck, then it becomes like another thorn in the heart because it, then it's a seed for more hatred and harm. But if it's a reaction like, ooh, oh, God, I'm sorry I said that, then that, to me, is a wholesome. So I don't know what you mean exactly by guilt. Like but guilt as, as the driving force to <coughs> save that hand in your bathtub. Mm -hmm. Like, hmm, something that I should do, but I don't really want to do it. I don't want to deal with it, you know, to do something good for other people or to myself. I would say that I don't, I'm not hearing from the Buddha, that, or, or I, at least I don't hear it that way, that, that we're doing this out of guilt. We're doing this 
for freedom. It's not because I should do it. It's actually because I connect with my inner goodness. When I take that time to be inconvenienced, to take what I said is I'm gonna, I'm, I get an opportunity to save a sentient being in that moment. So I get to feel my own bodhisattva heart, that I'm, I'm willing to be inconvenienced or irritated because I can connect with my goodness, not because I feel guilty. You know, I feel I would feel some guilt if I just washed it down the drain. <laughs> but I wasn't do my motivation, our motivation for 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 being kind hopefully wouldn't be coming out of guilt or being mindful comes out of the desire for freedom and for peace and for living from a, a place of our own inner goodness, connecting with our, our who we truly are, not our reactive patterns. So no, I wouldn't say, I would be concerned if guilt is a motivator. I mean, for some, some people maybe just learning about cause and effect, and if I say or do something, um, or starting to develop a moral compass, you know, some people may, may need to develop that. Like, well, that doesn't bother me, you know, I, don't, I guess I didn't know that bothered you. I mean, that, that to me would be like, well, that hurt when you said or did that, or well, maybe look at that. Um, or we start to realize a pattern, like, oh, you know, actually, that isn't such a good feeling. Like, I, I, had, I was working with a younger woman client the other day, and uh, or a number of clients, they come in, they say, yeah, yeah, I know I do this, but it feels so good. I said, well, how does it feel now? Lousy. So it's like recognizing that. Yeah. We need to let invite the kids in. So is there anything? Yes, yeah, Sophia? New beginnings, new beginnings. So let's invite the kids in and feel. Oh, they're not. Oh, great. See, I'm, I'm doing my best to, to do to do a good job <laughs> because it said I'll ten. You have to stop at 11:35 so the kids can come in. Okay, so great. We have we have more time to remove thorns. Yes, yeah. I have two things. One, um, I actually did wash a, a bottle down. <laughs> 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 this morning, and, and I did think about it. Uh -huh. um, and I did have that sense. Uh -huh. and, like, oops, uh, or, um, and that's kind of a maturation process. I Before, I used to always wash mm -hmm. it down the drain. So it's kind of like, okay, I'm now thinking more about it. And I'm actually With anger in your heart, right? <laughs> Sorry. Hot water. <laughs> so, um, and then I was thinking of what you just said. I heard one thing once about uh, the difference between, and I don't know if you agree with this, but it helps me with guilt and shame. Uh, guilt is the messages that we hear, like you said, a moral compass that say, oops, uh, maybe I shouldn't go there. And shame is about myself. I'm flawed. And so I like to let go of the shame part and just look at that for a try. Yeah, that's a wonderful <laughs> distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think about uh, shame a lot because my kids were really young. I remember that uh, we were in preschool uh, class with them, and the teachers were cautioning us about having, you know, instilling shame in our children for that very reason. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought to myself, you know, there are times I really want my kids to feel ashamed of themselves, you know? And if someone is shameless, that indicates, I think, a problem. Mm -hmm. I think the difference is shame against your essence, like who you truly are is a negative and destructive thing. But a good kind of shame is recognizing the distance between who you are at a given time and who you could be. So it rests on an idea of the goodness of who you are, which you were talking about mm-hmm. right in the future. You see that there's still work to be done. Yeah. Shame is the indicator of that. Um, mm-hmm. I think what the question I have is um, we talk a lot about the, the we cultivated the practice of mindfulness is not judgmental awareness. Mm-hmm. But this recognition of falling short or that we've done something that causes this discomfort requires judgment. So how do you recommend walking this balance between the non-judgmental awareness and then the skillful use of judgment in our lives? I should have had you with me yesterday as I was writing this because um, that's the clear comprehension, which is actually discernment. So it's not that we don't make judgments, but that judging with the you know with the whip and 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 this sense of I'm bad shame that's not helpful. In fact, that generates more of the same, right? Because often, who are the pe- people when we behave in some of these non-skillful ways? It's usually often because we don't feel so good about ourselves. That's obviously not the only reason, but but absolutely, that's the discernment. So that's why I actually thought of linking the clear comprehension, the right, the wise mindfulness, is the discernment. So you look at What's the purpose here? Is it suitable? Is it within the domain of meditation? Is What's the reality here? Is it non-delusion? So we, we really look at it through the eyes of uh, Sampajama or Sati Sampajama, through the mindfulness and, our, and the, the clear comprehension. And actually, that is, that's how we, we do it. So it's not so much we make judgments to discern, but we're not just lost in judging mind or lost in some kind of shame and and thank goodness and we want to learn you know to to recognize when our behavior is out of alignment with our values and how to and that we have a felt sense of that in the body maybe you want to come up with new words oh it feels off or oh I feel you know you know um, it's uncomfortable how many of us get a feeling in the body you know or in the heart, you know, we, we, we have a sense of it. So maybe we don't even we can we can just have the word or hold the words a little lightly because in our English language they're kind of triggering. So, but, but the but we need it. We need that, you know, to help keep us on track. It's that inner Buddha going. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Great questions. Discussion. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.